Hey everybody, it's Dan Dan, and we are diving into a step study today, and we are going to be in step number 10. So pull out that field guide of fantastic living called the 12 Steps in 12 Traditions, and we will begin to explore this step. Now, step 10, you know, continue to take a personal inventory, and when we were wrong, which is like never, right? I mean, come on, promptly admitted it, so we shouldn't really have much to do, right? I'm always right, so I don't have to worry about that part. I'll probably just skip this step 10 business. Actually, step 10 is a really vital thing, and sometimes people think of it as something where we're trying to just clear up our day or we're just, you know, just seeing how we did against the ideal, and all that is to some degree true. It's also, step 10 is also learning the skill, the art, practicing, self-control. Step 10 is also being able to evaluate or analyze your own self and your actions somewhat objectively. Those things are really, really important things to be able to do. And as we get into step 10, we're going to explore uh, what that reason is and how it helps us step away from this guy we used to be, this person we used to be, and into this person that we want to be. Now, we've gone through all the elements of step 10 already. We, you know, decided we were an addict, alcoholic, or whatever. We decided that a higher power could help us, and we decided to follow a new set of directions put together by that higher power in step three. We did an inventory. We gathered all these things. These inventories in step 10 are a little different than that, and, and that's going to be important to denote. The, the text tells us how that is different. And then... uh. Then we got into five and we learned about the act of confession or what, it, what is it? What's the benefit of saying to another person the nature of our wrongs? We've gotten to know this nature of ourselves and that plays a significant role in step 10. Then after we know our nature, we get into, I don't want to be known as, seen as, or act as, or have the influence of these character defects, right? Six and seven, we say, okay, God, I don't want them anymore. And we walk by God on the path of this new life and we throw all those character defects in God's trash can. And then we get to step eight and we think we're just going to make a list. Just take the four-step list. And it turns out really to be an exploration on how we hurt other people. It's a much deeper thing. Now that we know our nature and we have this list of resentments and we get this idea of what we don't want to be like anymore, we really explore how that affected other people. And step eight and step nine, we work to make that right. We amend or repair those relationships as best we can. That is a fair amount of new skill to be practiced. How do we practice that in daily life? And that is what step 10 is all about. How we take four through nine and put it to work in daily life. And it's not that you don't go back and do these things again in the format of step four or five formal type things. Of course you do. And it talks about that too. And there's a lot of different ways people approach that idea. Uh, in any case, the step 10 is a daily maintenance of this life that we've begun to put together at the grace of our higher power, that the higher power, that God himself has provided this new opportunity if we've done the work thoroughly, if we've done the best we can and we're ready to roll. We then at the end of each day, we continue to take a personal inventory. And when we're wrong, we promptly 
admit it. This is the beginning. Step 10 is the beginning of the next day. And our way to live out the AA deal, we do step 10. And one of the greatest things about step 10 is it follows those promises in the big book, right? So a lot of people think step 10 starts on page 84 in the big book at, are these extravagant promises? You bet they are. They're fantastic promises. They might well be extravagant and all those things, but we don't think so. And why don't we think so? Because we see them happen all the time. They're just commonplace. We're used to this kind of success in AA. We're used to the success of being able to overcome a life-debilitating illness. Hmm. We're used to it. It's common. We know exactly how to bring about that type of a thing. So in that way, they're not extravagant, right? In another way, if you're new to AA, if you've never been a part of an anonymous program or a 12-step program, these promises are obnoxious, right? How in the world will I ever achieve that? And how you do it? By getting in here and following the directions. So step 10, here we go. Continue to take a personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. And we're going to dissect that really, really well, because it sounds like I just go, oh, um, my bad. And then that's it. And sometimes that'll be true. Other times it'll require a little bit more work. It says, as we work the first nine steps, we prepare ourselves for the adventure of a new life. I love that line. But when we approach step 10, we commence to put our AA way of living, not your old way of living, the AA way of living, the NA, the whatever A way of living to practical use day by day in fair weather or in more difficult circumstances or foul. Then comes the acid test. Here it is. This is how we know. Can we stay sober, keep an emotional balance, and live in good purpose under all conditions? Can we? Indeed we can and do. Those are those extravagant promises, a continuous look at our assets and liabilities, a continuous look at our assets and our liabilities, and a real desire to learn and grow by this means are necessities for us. We alcoholics have learned this the hard way. More experienced people, of course, in all times and places have practiced unsparing self-survey and criticism. Step 10, an unsparing self-survey and criticism, but it doesn't stop there. For the wise have always known that critical sentence. No one can make much of his life until self-searching, until self-searching becomes a regular habit. Self-searching, a habit. Until he is able to admit and accept what he finds, and until he patiently, patience with who? Ourselves. Until he patiently and persistently, that means we don't give up if it gets difficult. We continue beyond the typical amount of time, the time we think it ought to take. We just keep in it persistently, tries to correct what is wrong. When a drunk like me, when a drunk has a terrific hangover, I never described them as terrific. I never thought of them as terrific. But there it is, has a terrific hangover because he drank heavily yesterday. He cannot live well today. But there is another kind of hangover which we all experience whether we are drinking or not. Vital idea right here. That is the emotional hangover. The direct result of yesterday and sometimes today's excessive of negative emotion, anger, fear, jealousy, and the like. If we would live serenely today and tomorrow, we certainly need to eliminate these hangovers. 
How do I do that? I thought I did that. Now, what was all this four through nine? The steps are tools and we've learned the skills and it's time to practice them in everyday living. So this is a little different in that way. It's a moment to moment, a continuous application. This doesn't mean we need to wander morbidly around in the past. Oh my gosh, I'm so bad. It requires an admission and correction of errors now. It requires an admission and correction of errors right now. Right now, don't let it go on another minute if you don't have to. Our inventory enables us to settle with the past. Ooh, that's past. That was like an hour ago. That's this past we're talking about. When this is done, we are really able to leave it behind us. What a nice thing to be able to do. When our inventory is carefully taken and we have made peace with ourselves, <laughs> the conviction follows that tomorrow's challenges can be met as they come. It doesn't mean that people get along with us after we correct this wrong. It's peace with ourselves. We've cleaned our side of the street as we learned in step nine. Although all inventories are alike in principle, the time factor does distinguish one from another. And now we're going to get the two kind of inventories and some people think three that he has outlined in here. One of them, there's the spot check inventory, taken at any time of day, whenever, whenever we find ourselves getting tangled up and that's twisted into some sort of mess that we don't want to be a part of. There's the one we take at day's end. There's a second one when we review the happenings of the hours just past. Here we cast up a balance sheet, crediting ourselves with things well done. That's first. And chalking up debits where due. Second. Then there are those occasions when alone or in the company of our sponsor or spiritual advisor, we make a careful review of our progress since the last time. In step six, we learned that the measuring stick, how am I matching up to the ideal, the ideal concept of getting along with every single person every single day, the ideal of mastering the turning of my character defects over to the care of God, the ability to live out God's will in every single moment. How am I matching up to that ideal? How is my real compared to the ideal? Some step six ideas there. Many AAs go in for annual or semi-annual house cleanings. Eh, lots of guys do that. I do that. Many of us also like the experience of an occasional retreat from the outside world where we can quiet down for an undisturbed day or so of self-overhaul and meditation. So this self-overhaul idea, I really like that. This is Dan Dan stuff. This isn't the big book stuff. But when I think of a self-overhaul, what I'm trying to do is just really just hold up visibly in my mind, you know, to visualize and contemplate in prayer the different things that are still bothering me that I've seemed to have forgotten about or think that I'm past. And I like to do it on walks in the woods. There's all sorts of ways to do it. Uh, some people like to do it to music. and It doesn't make any difference. It's an important thing. The self-overhaul just brings it all to light and puts it out. Okay, what are we up against? Let's go start knocking some of this stuff out. So here's another set of questions. Aren't these practices joy killers as well as time consumers? They do sound like it. Must AAs spend most of their waking hours drearily rehashing their sins of omission or commission? Well, no. <laughs> well, hardly. The emphasis on inventory is heavy only because a great many of us have never really acquired the habit. The habit. 
You practice it till it becomes a habit, the habit of accurate self-appraisal. Once this healthy practice has become grooved, means, you know, it's just become like smooth music. Once this healthy habit has become grooved, it will be so interesting and profitable that the time it takes won't be missed. You just want to do it because you'll like how you feel afterwards, because you'll like how you see the world afterwards. You'll have a freeing. You'll be lighter and able to do stuff. Our big book talks about being able to move more efficiently. Hmm. For these minutes and sometimes hours spent in self-examination are bound to make all the other hours of our day better and happier. And at length, our inventories become a regular part of everyday living. So that type of practice builds the habit rather than something unusual. And here's a key thing, set apart, that we compartmentalize. Lots of us like to do that. I do this now, I do this later. I read the daily reflections. I read the meditation. I read it as Bill sees it or something like that in the morning. I read my NA or whatever it is, you know. And we compartmentalize this stuff. We're going to deal with it in the morning and then not again. Like I'm going to do this God thing for a moment and then I'm going to do the Dan Dan thing for a while and then maybe I'll come back and do the God thing. And this is saying that as we practice it, it just sort of integrates into every single moment. It's not unusual or set apart. Before we ask what a spot check inventory is, let's look at the kind of setting in which such an inventory can do its work. The inventory does, it, does its work. The steps change me. And I, that's such a critical thing, isn't it? That the inventory is going to do this work. The steps change me. I'm not working the step. I'm asking the step to work on me. It's a spiritual axiom, which is a rule. An axiom is a rule, a standard, something assumed to be true. It is a spiritual axiom that every time we are disturbed, no matter what the cause, there is something wrong with us. <laughs> now, I don't like that idea. I'll tell you what, sometimes when I get that idea that there's something wrong with me, when I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me, I don't like that idea. So I came up with this, uh, this way of talking about it. I'm like a bag of chemicals, right? And I'm in charge of that bag of chemicals. And whether I'm happy or sad, it's just some sort of arrangement of the molecules in my body, ultimately. I know that takes it down out of the spiritual realm, or maybe it doesn't. I didn't make any of those molecules. They just come about on their own. In any case, I'm a sack of chemicals. And I am in charge of that sack of chemicals. So when I drank and used drugs, I use them to change my sack of chemicals. And what the program is asking me to do to step away from that entirely and into using prayer and meditation, a conscious contact with God, an idea that there's something greater to change those chemicals, a, a genuine, honest self-appraisal is being talked about here. And then I can change my chemicals. I can change this sack of molecules to be a much more favorable arrangement. It's like one day I get a vase and I give my wife, a, a, here's some poison ivy for you, hon, <laughs> right? And another day I give her roses. And I do both of those things. I can be really dang irritating or I can be very loving. And it's just on how I'm going to arrange my chemicals, how I am, and in that way I'm fully responsible the way other people affect me and the world affects me can be mitigated by my relationship with my higher power. It is a spiritual axiom, an accepted law, a spiritual truth that every time, not sometimes, 
every time, every time we are disturbed, no matter what the cause, there is something wrong with us. Just swallow and move on here. If somebody hurts us and we are sore, we are in the wrong also, not exclusively. My all or nothing mind, right? It's only me in the wrong. I'm wrong or you're wrong. No, we can actually both be wrong. But are there no exceptions to this rule? What about justifiable anger? Like, I can prove it to you. It's justifiable. I can point to the facts. I got a reason to be mad. You'd be mad too. You'd be mad too. If somebody cheats us, aren't we entitled to be mad? Can't we be properly angry with self-righteous folk? For us of AA, these are dangerous exceptions. God save me from being angry. We have found that justified anger ought to be left to those better qualified to handle it, which is not us because we, we totally do crazy things with that instinct of anger. Few people have been more victimized by resentments. Few people have been more victimized by the number one offender, the number one reason why addicts and alcoholics go back to whatever they do than have we alcoholics. It mattered little whether our resentments were justified or not. Doesn't even matter, right? Doesn't even matter. A burst of temper could spoil a day. A well-nursed grudge could make us miserably ineffective. Have you ever been so mad you can't think? Have you ever been in a place where you just cannot get a grip on the deal? You're just pissed off and that's just it. And you can't even really know why. And you, you can't do your work. You're mad at everybody around you. It's like the dog that you adore. You're like, I'm going to kick the dog, right? All these different things, you just... It's just eating your lunch, some people say. Skillful in separating justified from unjustified anger. We are not. As we saw it, our wrath was always justified. Here's a critical idea. Anger, that occasional luxury of more balanced people, you imbalanced alcoholics, could keep us on an emotional jag indefinitely. Whoo! So a jag, the idea of a jag is when time is out of control. Time is out of control. We just, we don't, an emotional jag. Hmm. You are out of control. Time is out of control. Indefinitely. These emotional dry benders acting like a drunk, the king baby syndrome, Carl Jung called it, acting like a drunk. These dry benders often led straight to the bottle because we want relief. We don't even know really what it is. We want out. Other kinds of disturbances, jealousy, envy, self-pity, or hurt pride. Hmm. Did the same thing. A spot check inventory taken in the midst of such disturbances, that's what makes it a spot check, can be a very great help in quieting stormy moments. Today's spot check finds its chief application to situations which arise in each day's march. The consideration of long-standing difficulties had better be postponed. We're not trying to tackle the world. We're just trying to figure out what in the world got me, uh, got under my skin right here, right now. Whew, thank goodness. The consideration of long-standing difficulties had better be postponed, when possible, to times deliberately set aside for that purpose, so you can give it the consideration that it requires. And here's, here's the critical idea. The quick inventory is aimed at our daily ups and downs. Ups and downs. Ups and downs. Especially those where people or new events throw us off balance and tempt us to make mistakes. In all these situations, we need, here's another critical idea, self-restraint. So here we are. 
Here's part of the idea of step 10. This is what we want to develop. As we're new to recovery, we're gonna have lots of step 10 stuff going on. And hopefully as we get better with this thing right here, we're gonna emphasize this self-restraint and how we get it. The better we are at that, the better we're going to feel, act, and perform in our lives. Here we go. In all these situations, good or bad, we need self-restraint, honest analysis of what is involved, a real self-appraisal, a willingness, that's that agreement with myself, I've agreed to do this, a willingness to admit when the fault is ours and an equal willingness to forgive when the fault is elsewhere. Whoo! So that forgiveness is something we go first on. He's going to touch on that. We need not be discouraged when we fall into the error of our old ways. For these disciplines are not easy. We shall look for progress, not perfection. Our first objective, the first thing we do, the thing we want to take all the emotion out of, our first objective will be the development of self-restraint. This carries a top priority rating. It's that kind of important, self-restraint. When we speak or act hastily or rationally, the ability to be fair-minded and tolerant evaporates on the spot. One unkind tirade or one willful snap judgment can ruin our relation with another person for a whole day or maybe a whole year or maybe forever. Forever. Yeah, I've done that. Nothing pays off like restraint of tongue and pen or keyboard. Like tongue and keyboard, right? Nothing pays off like restraint of tongue and keyboard. I see a lot of my AA buddies popping up there on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, and they're talking politics and religion, and they're just right. And I wonder, I wonder what they think about when they hear this. I wonder what they think about, are they doing a step 10 at the end of the day? Are they doing it? Because it doesn't appear to be restraint, and they do believe they're justified, and they do appear to be quite certain of their position, that somehow they have all the information and they have all the other possibilities considered, and they've arrived at the correct conclusion. And that's just, of course, absurd. That's an absolute lack of that humility, that knowing of oneself well, that humility of seeking and doing God's will. It says, we must avoid quick-tempered criticism and furious, power-driven argument. The same goes for sulking or silent scorn. These are emotional booby traps baited with pride and vengefulness. Hmm. Let's read that again. That seems important. These are emotional booby traps baited with pride and vengefulness. Pride is such a difficult thing. I'm only offended when I take things personally. Vengefulness. I want to get back. I must be made whole somehow. Somehow or another, I'm going to anger out of this world. Somehow or another, I'm going to demand of the world. I'm going to rage out of this world. I'm going to be so right that the world can't help but give me what it is that I want back. It owes it to me. I am entitled to it. Those thoughts going through your mind, you're in need of that spot check inventory. And, you know, perhaps in a very dangerous spot. Our first job, our first job, our first objective, our first job is to sidestep the traps. When we are tempted by the bait, we should train ourselves, practice these principles, train ourselves to step back and think. 
You'll hear in meetings a lot, you'll see the sign says, think, think, think. And a lot of people don't like that. They're like, oh, but my thinking, blah, blah, blah. This is suggesting that by step 10, thinking is a critical, valuable, and important skill to maintain your good frame of mind. We're going to get a little more into that in step 11, where the thinking is, well, it's all of it. The whole thing is thinking. Thinking is vital. How are you thinking? Being able to think about what you're thinking about and having something you think about what you're thinking about is important if you follow that along. Hmm. So it says again, we should train ourselves to step back and think for we can neither think nor act to good purpose until the habit, until we practice, until it becomes intuitive, the habit of self-restraint. There's that is, that is again, has become automatic. It's so rewarding. It's so rewarding. You will be blessed and, you know, highly favored if you can figure this type of thing out. As absurd as that sounds, it's still true. Self-restraint is an incredibly valuable thing. Now, it's got to be balanced. It's not passive aggressiveness. It's self-restraint. Even you, when you get into uncomfortable situations, you want to test this self-restraint. And the test is given to us in the family afterward. The test is given to us in step 12 as well. And, and here's the test. As I'm sitting here not saying something or choosing my words, am I choosing them to be helpful or harmful? As I'm sitting here trying to not say something or get out of a situation, am I doing it to see what I can get out of it or what I can put into it? How am I adding into it in a helpful and positive way? How am I staying in touch with, engaged with, connected with this difficult circumstances or this great success without taking it on to my character defects, without blowing up my instincts around it? How am I thinking about other people first? Not me last, none of that. Me too. How am I thinking about other people first? In step eight, how am I affecting other people? In step nine, am I leaving anything that I'm going to have to be apologetic or remorseful for, right? It's all that. It's all that. And it, it becomes automatic. It just becomes a part of your day. You no longer owe the debt. The debt gets paid at the same time. It's kind of like somebody borrows, you borrow a dollar and they just pay it right back. You know, you make a mistake and you just straighten it right out. Disagreeable or unexpected problems are not the only ones that call for self-control. Thank goodness. We must be quite as careful when we begin to achieve some measure of importance and material success. I've been important all along. How can I achieve something I've always had? <laughs> right? That is so true. You want to watch pride get into this alcoholic? You just let that stuff happen. It happens, well, automatically. I don't really have to practice that one. So it's important that I practice getting away from that. And that's the spot check inventory. For no people have ever loved personal triumphs more than we have loved them. We drink of success as of a wine which could never fail to make us feel elated. Critical sentence. When temporary good fortune, temporary, temporary, temporary good fortune, because it is never permanent. When temporary good fortune came our way, we indulged ourselves in what? Reality, objective thinking, how we might be able to help others with it? No, 
fantasies of still greater victories over people and circumstances, thus blinded by prideful self-confidence. Man, look what I did. Woohoo! We were apt to play the big shot. What? What? I don't, I don't want to hear none of this. I'm far better than it. <laughs> of course, people turned away from us, bored or hurt. That is so important. I, just think about it for a second. You go to the bar and you spout off about things you're not really doing to people you don't really like spending money that maybe you don't really have on something you don't really want to do. And that can come right back into us with any level of success. I have absolutely experienced that very thing in my own sobriety and had it called right on out. Yeah, <laughs> thank goodness for that. Because it's funny today, but in the moment, boy, my, my pride was hurt. It sure was. And, and I got to go right back to this spot check inventory on the spot. And within moments, my bag of molecules was actively rearranging itself back to calm and unconcerned. Here we go. Now that we're in AA and sober and winning back, winning back, winning back, I want you to focus on that word. When we win something, we do a lot of work to do it. When a team wins a game, they do a lot to, to achieve that. When a salesman wins a contract, who is he trying to suit? How is he getting that done? Well, he's serving that potential customer, right? He's working to meet their needs. He's looking at them for opportunities to be helpful. That's how you win back. Hmm. Winning back the esteem, the respect, esteem is respect of our friends and business associates by being helpful and thinking about them first. We find that we still need to exercise special vigilance. That's just a process of paying attention. As an insurance against big shotism, there it is, we can often check ourselves by remembering that we are today sober only, not because I did all sorts of fantastic work, only by the grace of God, and that any success we may be having is far more his success, God's success, than ours. Finally, we begin to see that all people, including ourselves, are to some extent emotionally ill as well as frequently wrong. <laughs> which makes it all funny, which also helps us get away from the pride and all that. It just, some, so many days just become kind of hilarious to watch how us humans interact with one another. And then we approach true tolerance and see what real love of our fellows actually means because it no longer hinges on my measly little tiny opinion, that lowest form of intelligence called Dan Dan's opinion. It's extremely low. It's just based on one of eight and a half billion people's experience. It's a one of 8.5 billion experiences. Just think about that for a second. It's really not that important. It will, and this is a critical idea here. It will become more and more evident as we go forward that it is pointless to become angry. Oh, pointless to become angry or to get hurt by people who, like us, are suffering from the pains of growing up. Gotta love it. Don't take things personally. Such a radical change in our outlook will take time, maybe a lot of time. Not many people can truthfully assert that they love everybody. Most of us must admit that we have loved but a few, that we have been quite indifferent to the many so long as none of them gave us trouble. That's so true, right? And as for the remainder, well... 
We have really disliked or hated them. I don't know if that's true. Maybe I'm too far away from those days. Uh, I hope not. I, I can tell you that I don't have a lot of that left in me, and I would attribute that to the spot check and 10-step evening inventory. Although these attitudes are common enough, we AAs find we need something much better in order to keep our balance. We in AA find we need something much better than anger, much better than hatred, much better than jealousy, much better than pride, much better than taking things personally, much better than all of that stuff. Much better in order to keep our balance. We can't stand it if we hate deeply. That's true. Critical idea. The idea that we can possessive. This is critical here. The idea that we can be possessively loving of a few can ignore the many and can continue to fear or hate anybody has to be abandoned, if only a little at a time. So that group of people you don't like, that political party you don't like, that situation, that institution, whatever it is that you don't like, the idea is to begin to like them, to not maybe like them in the sense that you endorse what they do or whatever, but to begin to take acceptance, patience, kindliness, and tolerance and wrap it all up into a ball and see them for what they are, emotionally ill, spiritually sick, unable to connect with the world, dominating, and all those things that you have in you that you recognize in others. That the things I see in me, the things that I've noticed about me in the process of the steps are almost always what I dislike about others, whether it's an organization, a group of people, or some sort of identity group of some kind. It's something in me that they're doing. There's something I do that they're doing that I don't like about me, and I pick up in them. That's why we abandon the self-righteousness and the pride about it, because it is pointless. <laughs> we can try to stop making unreasonable demands upon those we love. Well, what do you mean try? Stop making unreasonable unreasonable demands on those you love. We can show kindness where we had shown none. Can, we ought to show kindness where we had shown none. With those we dislike, we can begin to practice justice and courtesy, perhaps going out of our way to understand and help them. What? Out of our way to understand and help them. That is an amazing idea right there. And what he's talking about, and I like to put it this way, Dandanism, uh, I, for a long time, got my way at the expense of other people. And in recovery, it's time for me to help others get their way, perhaps at my expense of time or money or position or opinion or theological doctrine or whatever it is, that it's time for me to help them get what they want at my expense. Whenever we fail any of these people, not certain ones, not the one, we, we can't really fail the ones that we really don't like, right? Whenever we fail any of these people, we can promptly admit it to ourselves always. So honesty with ourselves, the most paramount thing, and to them also, when the omission would be helpful. Courtesy, kindness, justice, and love are the keynotes by which we may come into harmony with practically anybody. Whoa. So this gets into a lot of different parts of the steps, doesn't it? This is eight and nine. This is six and seven. This is all of them. And we're, we're facing our character defects as they express themselves out of society. And we're facing ourselves in that society. And we got to figure out a way. And this 10-step spot inventory, this 10-step way of approaching your day 
is a way to do just that moment to moment. And it goes on. When in doubt, we can always pause saying, and it's a prayer, not my will, but thine be done. And we can often ask ourselves, am I doing to others as I would have them do to me today? Am I doing it right now? Hmm. When evening comes, perhaps just before going to sleep, here's the second part. That's the end of the spot check inventory. Now we have the second 10-step style of inventory. And some people think there's a third. We'll get to that in a second. When evening comes, perhaps just before going to sleep, many of us draw up a balance sheet for the day. This is a good place to remember that inventory taking is not always done in red ink. It's meaning that it's not always done from a deficit standpoint. I'm not just looking for what went wrong. I'm looking for what went right. It's gonna, it told us that's the first thing we do. We try to start off with, hey, how'd it go today? I think this stuff went well. What didn't go so well? And then what do I gotta get right tomorrow? It's a poor day indeed when we haven't done something right. As a matter of fact, the waking hours are usually well filled with things that are constructive. Good intentions, good thoughts, and good acts are there for us to see. Even when we have tried hard and failed, we can chalk failure up as one of the greatest credits of all. Trying and failing is the, I think, the epitome of willingness carried out. It's the second half of surrender. You know, you give up the fight. This is the first half. And a lot of people like to stop right there. The second part of surrender is begin to do something different. And if I don't know how to do that different thing, I'm practicing the steps. I'm not perfecting the steps, right? I'm not flawless in this world, but I may gain in maturity. The ability to fail and stand back up is a better representation of character than just about anything. And us as alcoholic addict type people, man, we have done that over and over and over. We have told ourselves, I'm going to conquer this thing that holds me down. I am not going to be this addict alcoholic. I'm not going to do it. And over and over and over again, we have stood back up just to be knocked back down. And for some reason in recovery, when we no longer have that crutch of the chemical, when this sack of molecules no, doesn't have a bottle of molecules or a little baggie of molecules to add in to get me to change, and I rely upon God, those failures eat me up sometimes. And through the 10-step spot check inventory, by identifying what I've done good, and knowing that trying and failing is far, far better, perhaps the greatest credit of all, because I tried and it didn't work out. To stand back up and do it again and try to get better at it, that is what recovery is. When I say that I am a recovered alcoholic, what I'm saying is that I'm no longer relying on an external sack of chemicals or bottle of chemicals, molecules to change me, and I'm going to rely on God to change me because he has. I'm going to rely on God to change me when I don't want to change me. I'm going to rely on God and try these ideas and suck at them. And as I do it, I'll just do it sucky until I get better. That's the thing, that perfectionism and the big shotism, it all goes away because I don't have to get it right now. What I got to do right now is get it. <laughs> you know, it's just get it. I don't have to get it right right now. I just need to get it right now and let the cards fall where they may. Learn, stand back up, do it again. Woo. Under these conditions, the pains of failure are converted into assets. Thank you. 
out of them, we receive the stimulation we need to go forward because it's exciting. You get new vision. Humility and failure is really opportunity without burden. Humility and failure is opportunity without burden. Don't forget that. The ability comes with humility. Humility gives you the ability. Out of them, we receive the stimulation, the excitement, the energy we need to go forward. Someone who knew what he was talking about once remarked that pain was the touchstone of all spiritual progress. How heartily we AAs can agree with him. Because it was pain that got us into the rooms in the first place. Suffer has an ancient meaning. The idea of suffer means to come to or come forward without resistance. To suffer unto God, to suffer under your higher power, often means that we have just been stripped involuntarily of all the different things that we have held up and resistance to God, right? And well, we experience that on the physical plane as very undesirable conditions, circumstances, and physical states, suffering. But we come without resistance to our higher power as a result. Pain, suffering was the touchstone of all spiritual progress. We all know that to be true. How heartily we AAs can agree with him. For we know that the pains of drinking had to come before sobriety and emotional turmoil before serenity. Dive into those steps. Don't waste time. If sponsors out there, I, I beg of you to not be so flippant about it, you know, waiting on somebody to be ready for the steps or, you know, I'll meet you on Sundays for an hour, that kind of thing. Dive into this. Go after it like the life preserver like the drowning guy after that life preserver. Go after it as if your life depends on it. As we glance down at the debit side of the day's ledger, we should carefully examine our motives. Ha, huh, our motives. Because that's the root of how these things happen. In each thought or act, so much for that don't think, right? So don't think, I can't think, my thinking's all messed up. Well, it'll get better. You get into the 10th step, and you practice, and when you fail, you get back up and try it again. In each thought or act that appears to be wrong, we should carefully examine our motives in each thought or act that appears to be wrong. Can we say that enough times? Here is what you're doing. In most cases, our motives won't be hard to see and understand. When And here's the, the thing to weigh it against, the counterweight. When prideful, angry, jealous, anxious, or fearful, we acted accordingly, and that was that. Here we need only recognize that we did act or think badly. Try to visualize how we might have done better. Think, visualize in your mind. Think, think how we would have done better and resolve with God's help, with God's help, and resolve with God's help because that swearing off doesn't work. I'm going to do it. I'm do, that self-reliance doesn't work, but self-control does. And how that works with God's help is I rely upon the directions given here in the books, right? That's the external source. It's not me. And I know that God's got the rest of it, that all the things around me that I do not control are arranging themselves accordingly, that with God's help to carry these lessons over into tomorrow, making, of course, any amends still neglected. But in other instances, only the closest scrutiny will reveal what our true motives were. Get your sponsor on the phone. There are cases where our ancient enemy, oh, this stuff's great right here. Our ancient enemy, forever, like forever mankind has done this, right? This is great. There are cases where our ancient enemy 
rationalization. Rationalization is a logical lie. The lies of logic, right? Just, it makes sense. It, the dots all connect. How could I be wrong in this? Rationalization has stepped in and has justified conduct which was really wrong. The temptation here is to imagine, to fabricate, disillusionment, all that stuff, to imagine that we had good motives and reasons when we really didn't. Justifiable anger is just one of those things, but there's all sorts of them. It's talked about, uh, you know, ambition masquerading as greed. It's talked about lust masquerading as romance, things like that. The temptation here is to imagine lust as romance, ambition as greed, right? Anger is justified, that we had good motives and reasons when we really didn't. We constructively criticized someone who needed it. <laughs> and it's in quotes. Hmm. When our real motive was to win a useless argument or the, the pointless anger, the useless argument, pointless anger, or the person concerned not being present, we thought we were helping others to understand him when in actuality our true motive was to feel superior by pulling him down. We some gossip. That's that poisonous gossip. We sometimes hurt those we love because they need to be taught a lesson. I'm going to make an example out of this one. I've had enough justifiable anger turned into a drug. Taught a lesson when we really want to punish, and that is to make one suffer for a mistake. We were depressed and complained we felt bad when, in fact, we were mainly asking for sympathy and attention. This odd trait of mind and emotion, this perverse, wrong enough to be strange, that's what perverse means, this weird thing, this just bizarre thing that we do, this perverse thing, this wrong enough to be weird, this perverse wish to hide a bad motive underneath a good one, rationalization, logic gone wild. It sounds perfectly fine to us. The great thing about this is we have a way out of it. This perverse wish to hide a bad motive underneath a good one permeates human affairs from top to bottom, not alcoholic affairs. This is just people doing the people thing. This thing called me living this thing called life. This subtle and elusive kind of self-righteousness can underlie the smallest act or thought. Learning daily to spot, admit, and correct these flaws is the essence of character building and good living. Could it be said more importantly than that? The essence, the character of it, the actual thing itself is learning daily to spot and admit and correct these flaws. That's it. Critical idea here. An honest regret for harm's done. So an honest regret. Some people are like, oh, I don't feel guilty about it anymore. Well, something's gone wrong. It's not that you get rid of the guilty feeling. It's that the guilty feeling doesn't motivate self-deprecation, self-pity, and really morbidity about, you know, that morbid reaction about self-worth and self-esteem. That that guilt feeling becomes something of an asset. That you still feel guilty. I, I, got, I went to federal prison for some things. I still have guilt about that. I still feel guilty. And it, instead of me wanting to shame myself and hold my head low, I think of it as a huge asset when someone comes into the program out of or on their way to prison. It's a huge asset. And it becomes something that I can connect with them on. It's important to remember the feelings that come with our wrongdoing. It's not that they control us, that self-restraint and how I think, think, think about them is 
vital, but I maintain it, right? An honest version of it, an honest regret for harms done, a genuine gratitude for blessings received. That too, right? A genuine gratitude, knowing I didn't create it, knowing that God is at work in everything around me, everything from the roads and the traffic lights to all sorts of stuff that transcends geography and generations and skill sets and cultures. It just comes across all of it. And then I like drive on that road, you know, (laughs) and then I flip on the TV and heck, it's so reliable. If it doesn't work, I'm like pissed off about the whole thing. You know, I get angry at it because it doesn't work so predictably, even though it required tens of thousands of people and incredible quantities of intellect and machines and holy moly, if we backtrack it, it's it's a lot, but a genuine gratitude for blessings received and a willingness to try for better things tomorrow. Willingness that I agree with myself tomorrow with the help of God, I am going to do better. That's where I will find there will be the permanent assets we shall seek. Permanent assets, the intuitive nature of a spiritual life that comes from the sincere practice of it. Having so consider our day, not omitting to take due note of things well done, and having searched our hearts with neither fear nor favor, we can truly thank God for the blessings we have received and sleep in good conscience. Step 10. Wow. I'll tell you what. Why don't we talk about that? What a great topic to talk about in step 10 is not how you do your inventory, not any of that. How do you stand compared to that example? What are you going to change? What commitments can you make to your group, your sponsor? What can you say you're going to do differently to move closer to that ideal? How are you going to take your real your real life and think of four through nine, all those steps, all those skills, all those things that you now know how to do and apply them to your life tomorrow so that you can say that I am truly working to have a better tomorrow, that I am willing to try for better things tomorrow. How are you working towards that? What a fantastic step. This is how we maintain a spiritual life. And it's going to involve a much deeper element of God when we get into it in step 11. Right now, it's just about finding out where we need God's help and how we can focus on becoming better tomorrow. Do not be afraid of your own thinking if you have the skills of the steps, if you have the tools that are built into them. Think, think about a lot of stuff with these tools ready at the side so that you can pull them up and use them. Be sure to use mentors and sponsors and all the people that influence you. Be sure to run your mental states by other people that can help you sort these things out. Watch out for rationalization, logic gone awry. And think about this. The end goal of step 10, the real skill that comes out of it is self-restraint in the moment. Well, I hope you guys have a great discussion and thank you for tuning into the podcast today. As we step away from four through nine, we're working into all these maintenance steps and step 11 and 10 really tie together well. So please listen to step 11 as we come on to that one next. And I hope you have a great discussion.